We may partner with ASU on some of our research projects and they have their PhDs in understanding this, but at the same time, people have the PhD in their community of what life is like there. (laughs) So I think really using community input and the combined with the, the mapping data and other types of data, I think really helps them understand and see and actually get excited about uh, the solutions. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of War podcast. You just heard Mark Hartman, Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Phoenix in Arizona, talk about the importance of leveraging technology to engage with communities in the design of resilient infrastructure and services. Esri Conservation Solutions Director David Gadsden investigates how large cities are using location intelligence to serve their residents and reach green goals in the face of climate change. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. For the last seven years, you've been Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Phoenix in Arizona. And prior to that, you were the Green Building Program Manager for the City of Vancouver, Canada. Can you help us understand what lessons in Vancouver helped guide your experience and initiatives in Phoenix? Well, I very much got my start in sustainability in Vancouver. And, you know, me, along with many other cities uh, at the time, were just pioneering. Uh, I think I must have told 50 people when I first got the job in sustainability, and they'd never heard the term. They go, that's not a word. There's no such thing. And that was just 15 years ago when it was basically the word was not in use in society at all. So I think that whether you're in, in Phoenix or whether you're in Vancouver, that the issues and the outcomes that you're desiring, clean air, clean water, and healthy ecosystems are the same. Uh, each city has its own unique opportunities. For example, some cities have opportunity for wind power, others for Phoenix, a lot for solar power, much more so uh, the Vancouver, which is kind of like a rainforest. <laughs> so uh, each you know, leverages their own advantages, um, but uh, ultimately uh, the outcomes are the same and sort of sustainable approaches are the same. The city of Phoenix has created a set of environmental sustainability goals, which ultimately hope to help the city become carbon neutral operating on 100% clean energy by the year of 2050. Can you help us better understand those goals and what they entail? So when we set the 2050 goal, it's really important to decide what it is when you're all done. Uh, What does it look like? Where are you headed to? Because any particular goal, you can say, is you know a 10% improvement. Is that good or bad? Well, it depends where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So uh, it's a quote from Alice in Wonderland, and it's really important to set the long-term goal. And I think we had, you know, unanimous support uh, from everyone to recognize, yes, this is what we desire to be, you know, a carbon-neutral city, the most sustainable desert city on the planet. A big part of your role is working with other departments within the city to craft sustainability and economic goals. Can you give us an example of how those relationships across those departments uh, are facilitated? It was interesting originally when first talking to departments because they were unsure, what do you mean these sustainability goals? I haven't had sustainability goals. Well, actually they have. That's really important for people just to understand that many of the things we do, that being in a desert and understanding heat and addressing heat is part of our DNA. So they were doing really outstanding in some of those areas. So I think it's really in shedding light to departments of the things they they are doing and the things they could do uh, that they can then explore. I mean, they're the subject matter experts and can figure out how to do it. But uh, for me, it was actually just create some, give some ideation happening to have them envision of what what they could do and uh, have them then use creativity to figure out how to get there. 
That's fascinating, Mark, because really there was already things going on related to sustainability across the city, but it wasn't perceived that way. What are some examples of specific projects that help bind those departments together? So one was certainly around the recycling. I mean, Phoenix had recycling since the 80s. They're one of the first cities in the U.S. to start recycling, and uh, but they really hadn't gone very much far. They just kind of done on the side. So I know when I first introduced zero waste concept to the department, and they said, what? What do you mean? That's always going to be garbage. There's such thing as zero waste. I mean, that was a response from our, our recycling group, you know, and, and but when uh, they finally got a hold of it and talked about circular economy and where to get there, they are now champions, and they're actually speak, uh, and they're actually spoke person for a leading city uh, in part of C40 to be speaking about how Phoenix is leading on the concept of zero waste and uh, the circular economy. I, I assume you're experiencing some degree of growth in the city. How do you prepare for the future for water resources? Uh, it's funny, when I left Vancouver, everybody was saying, oh, what are you going to live in a desert for? They're going to run out of water. Look at you, you know, when actually, you know, it's funny, but cities have actually only been thinking about long-term water supply in the last couple decades. But Phoenix has been 100 years. And when you're a desert city, you think about water, while other other cities haven't really having been part of their conversation. They've always thought, oh, it's always going to be rain. We're always going to have our snowpack. Like, it's not a big issue. And for example, Phoenix, um, you know, compared that to California, recycles 4% of its water. Phoenix recycles almost all of its water. So real difference in it's part of we think about water, we think about it all the time, and we actually have a, a plan for guaranteed 100-year supply. And we're also surface water, 100% renewable surface water supplies. So even though underneath Phoenix is our aquifers with more than 100 years supply of water, we we're actually don't touch that. We, we, uh, we take one-third of our allocation up to Colorado and put it into the ground and we're a net positive contributor to groundwater. The goal isn't to get to zero water use, which is maybe where some of the false thinking is. It's actually just to be within sustainable amounts of water that, and having reserves for low water years. And that's how, how we operate in the desert and how we think about it. Obviously, to achieve this type of sustainability across the city, um, government has a major role to play. But what about private organizations and businesses? Well, we really can't get there without, you know, our the city itself, its operations, it's 5% of the footprint of the city. And it's really businesses that, uh, and residents that we need to participate in our recycling programs and understand. So a lot is education and awareness and partnering with the business community. Um, when you think of, you know, actually cities, I would say have been late to the game in the, in the whole role of sustainability that I think, you know, almost all the major corporations had sustainability directors before most cities had. So cities have been really just the last decade, they kind of were about five or six years behind all the major corporations and, and even the goals of ambition. I mean, I think many corporations are moving to 100% renewable energy supplied, all the major ones, while cities are figuring just now trying to work plans on how to do that and the pathway to get there. So I think it's, it's really great to have that leadership and support from uh, the business community that actually really helps sell the idea to you know, other levels of government to say, hey, the businesses are agreeing with us, so let's do this together. How does technology contribute to your work? What tools are you using to measure progress and your goals towards better efficiency and sustainability? Well, certainly, um, yeah, technology is the way to actually give the evidence uh, and actually is great within a business case. So we're currently doing cool pavement pilot 
where we actually put sensors, partnered with a university to put sensors under the pavement, in the pavement and above the pavement and walk around with uh, equipment called MARTI that measures mean radiant temperatures to test uh, how these cool pavements work, checking of the difference in how uh, they can cool uh, surface temperatures, particularly in the evening in our desert environment. And we now have more cool pavement than any other city in the world. So, you know, really understanding this technology and how it, um, and kind of identifying them by actually creating heat maps of the city and looking at the locations uh, in vulnerable communities where, you know, where people are more transit dependent and need to actually have walking routes to transit and to the places they live, work and play uh, to try to find, okay, what are, where are vulnerable neighborhoods where they're really dependent on walking and where it's the hottest in the city, like less tree canopy, those are places that are ideal for sort of cool streets. What about nature-based solutions? Are there efforts to improve the tree canopy and provide more shade in, in areas that, that need that intervention? Oh, actually, yeah. For a desert environment, certainly green infrastructure and tree canopy are huge opportunities. I mean, they imagine designing equipment that, that cleans the air, cools the environment, is self-replicating, can, you know, uses 100% renewable energy, the sun. Um, and, you know, it, it is like this great invention. Um, and we really should use that more. When we ask residents and said, if there's a shaded pathway from where you live to nearby stores, would you walk more often than you do now? And 85% said yes. Uh, you know, it's a really important to create that. So we're really focusing on neighborhoods that are really dependent on walking to actually create these cool corridors throughout those neighborhoods and uh, use green infrastructure. Can you give us a brief overview of the sort of the details of the climate action plan? What are some of the elements that we haven't had a chance to, to talk about yet? A lot of climate action plans historically have focused almost exclusively on greenhouse gases. So, you know, to say, does this help greenhouse gases? Okay, well, then get rid of it, you know. But, but for us, climate is uh, one of the, there's five C's in Arizona, you know, copper and cattle and, and uh, climate. And so, so we really included in our climate action plan things to do with um, resilience. So air quality and heat is kind of two big features within our climate action plan, as well as others. And I think the biggest ones are, you know, reducing transportation emissions to be carbon neutral. And I think a big opportunity there is electric vehicles. They're a solution to pollution. Uh, they actually have no tailpipe emissions because they don't have a tailpipe. And they're you know, really great and fun to drive. And they're at basically at cost parity now. And, and almost every manufacturer is transitioning to electric vehicles. So this is a great opportunity. And the other is, uh, opportunity is green buildings. If the building code in Germany was the building code in Phoenix, our buildings would use 80% less energy. So we really do have a ways to go as far as building code. As you work to reduce greenhouse gas emissions across the city, how do you establish the baseline? How do you know where you're starting from relative to emissions and, and what progress you're making over time? Well, that, yeah. And so certainly um, from going through a full, there's standard robust, you know, verification protocols for measuring greenhouse gas emissions, international protocols. So we kind of follow those protocols. And at the same time, um, you know, for the programs, a lot of them are based on trying to understand where, you know, certainly geographically where things are within the city and what the program looks like. So I think a lot of our programs are, you know, use mapping tools and things like that to kind of measure what is the current canopy uh, and then how do we 
um, kind of continually go back and look at remeasuring that canopy, update our inventories to kind of look at that change over time. And so, you know, identify what are priority corridors. Like we actually worked with ASU that created what's called a walk shed mapping tool. So the walk shed is based on where the people live and where they're going to, like bus stops and work, what are the streets actually that most people would walk along? So we don't actually need to cool our whole city or cool every single street or put trees in. It's just where the people are and where the people move. So really applying, uh, look at measuring based on, you know, demographic data and other data to understand, okay, where, where does our baseline and what does that look like? And then actually including in our goals the steps to see what we want to do to get there. It really seems like Phoenix is taking a very holistic approach to sustainability, you know, not not just one or two departments trying to get their, you know, sort of programs aligned, but that you're very holistically thinking about all aspects of government and services. How does geospatial technology contribute and help you visualize and plan and measure your work towards a, a more sustainable city in general? Actually, it's interesting. There's kind of two things where it's helpful. One is that it's a great communication tool. So when we say, oh, we're creating, you know, a cool corridor in throughout the neighborhood, a network of cool corridors throughout the city and vulnerable communities, people go, oh, that's interesting. That's a good thing. But then when you actually show, okay, it's this street, and people go, oh, I walk on that street, you know, and they actually can see where it is and they give like, oh, we should do this. And it actually creates the ideas are only come of what you do, like what, what should we put in a walk? What are some of the cooling solutions we put in it? Well, only until you actually see it and together. Um, and I think co-creating with the community, um, I think that the maps are really helpful that quite often, you know, that I think historically, you know, many cities have just decided, oh, we're going to do this and come up with our street plans and then just get out of our way city. You know, we, we, we're doing what we're doing, you know, and uh, but but actually, you know, we may partner with ASU on some of our research projects and they have their PhDs in understanding this. But at the same time, people have the PhD in their community of what life is like there. <laughs> so they are, they're the most knowledgeable. Oh, they tried this and actually this street's really hot and oh, they have some great knowledge. So I think really using community input um, and the combined with the, the mapping data and other types of data, I think really helps them understand and see and actually get excited about uh, the solutions. I'm curious how you've built community around the concept of sustainability. Your work in government, engagement with the private sector, citizen engagement. Uh, you spoke of this earlier, but it's, it's so significant that you seem to have achieved this common understanding towards these goals and the value of, of being more careful and efficient. How did, how did that come about? How did you even begin to, to get the public on board and get businesses on board with the importance of sustaining the city in the long term? I think that was, you know, certainly in our state, there was some, certainly a resistance to the concept of sustainability. When you talk about climate change, it was originally forbidden, you know, at the state level to actually even talk about climate change. Like, and you can't have any program with that name in it. But it's, it's really to talk about even greenhouse gas emissions is, was at the time, you know, a few years ago, today it's not as big an issue, but uh, then uh, was, it was like poking people in the eye for no reason, because actually they totally agree with me on that we want clean air. They totally agree we want clean water. Like, why bring up things that, are, you know, do these digs uh, to talk about it? Come on, say the word climate change. Come on, it's getting hotter. Come on. Like, it's just as pointless that 
it's really important to, uh, you know, really focus on what are the things that are important. It's not greenhouse gases. It's actually quality of life for everyone. Uh, and so, you know, I think that even people can start to understand intellectually, but I think they don't actually believe it until you actually see tangible projects and can experience it. That, you know, the idea of, you know, for example, many canals in Phoenix, people put a big fence up to block from the canal and, you know, it's kind of in the backyards and, you know, oh, well, people just put garbage back there and we don't want to use those canals. And and I was very much, hey, no, we should we should make these vibrant public realm and actually have walkable where what if it was a shaded pathway and was safe and was a great community where everybody went along there and people be like, well, OK, that'd be OK. Um, and places like there's certain places in the city where there's where they've turned around and made it the front yard and made people where people could walk and enjoy it and have it as amenity, like a waterfront, like an oh well that's great, a beautiful walkway and coffee shops and those and places along the canal that can actually turn what is once considered a pride to something that's actually beautiful. We've when we think of about sustainability, it's often about not running out of critical resources right? Not running out of water, not running out of energy, et cetera. How do, you, how do you relate this importance of social cohesion and social healthier uh, quality of life uh, endeavors to sustainability? Are they, are they related or essential to one another? Yeah, it's interesting. Every, you know, every sustainability action or even, even some environmental actions they're actually also social and economic. So they're, you know, every action is, they've kind of been put in traditional boxes, like transit's typically an economic one for, from the federal government's perspective. But transit's very social, like it actually helps, uh, you know, population, as well as it's hugely opportunity to be environmental as well. And so it, it really is, um, you know, crosses, all, all of them are working together that, that what, uh, like what our what our tagline to our our goals are for being a carbon neutral city is actually creating quality of life for everyone, not just some neighborhoods, but for everyone, uh, while making making nature better off as a result. And so, if we actually make you know nature thrive and do well, uh, it actually serves us very well. It's it's cleaning our air, it's creating healthy, it's actually the forests are filtering our water and actually creating us clean water. And so all of these are all related together. And so, you know, there was this whole idea of scarce resources. Oh, we're going to run out of oil or run. Well, actually, you know, you didn't, the Stone Age didn't end because you ran out of stones. You just found different ways to do it. Uh, so thinking differently and uh, actually it shouldn't have, like actually, it's, what do we really need? Like actually, what, are, what is the greatest longing that people here and your listeners have is actually just to just to belong and be cared about and have good relationships to be, to love and be loved. You know, those kind of things are, are really what we long for. I mean, we think, Oh, well, I want to be wealthier. So, so you can do what? Like, so, so you can be comfortable, but uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting seeing we, those shared values, social is a huge opportunity that, you know, kind of dissolves all of our differences and things we're fighting for and realize, Hey, we're all on this together. We all want to have clean air, clean water and healthy ecosystems. Mark, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Fun to be on and talking with you. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Mark Hartman for explaining how technology is optimizing sustainability planning for large cities. 
If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate Esri and the Science of Wear podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about how location intelligence enables digital transformation and drives growth, visit esri.com forward slash location intelligence.